But you know what? I thought you were mysterious like my mother until it turned out the mysterious just meant depressed, all right? Hard to reach. I mean, I'm dying here. I don't like going out. You know that I get anxiety when I have to meet people. You know how hard that is. Everything you touch turns to shit! Like King Midas' idiot brother. Jesus. But if you two aren't the biggest pair of fuck-ups I've ever met in my entire life... Hello, everyone, and welcome to Give Us a Second, a mini-sode series from the greatest moments in the history of forever. This is our 11th one, and this is going to be 2017 in review, part one. (laughs) That's right. As we discussed, we will be doing a multi-part series on our thoughts on... 2017 in film so buckle up 2016 in review i thought was a pretty good episode uh but we just didn't have enough time to get (laughs) it all out there we rushed through it and even more importantly 2017 way more good movies a lot more to talk about yeah absolutely um 2016's episode could have really just been neon demon (laughs) in my opinion yes you know for everyone's sake, we're going to limit our discussion to what actually appeared on screen. You know, we won't be giving our thoughts on, you know, Time's Up and the Me Too movement and all this stuff. And <laughs> As I light a candle. <laughs> we're just going to let that, you know, a lot of off-screen stuff happen, but we're not going to get into any of that. Oh, what's there to say? Everyone else is saying it. But, yeah, I mean, outside of our top ten list... There's quite a few movies this year that both of us enjoyed. It's been a tough year to put that list together, really. Yeah, I mean, I I was like, okay, originally I was thinking I would make a list of everything that I would give an A- minus or better to. So A-, minus, A, or A+, and my list was rapidly growing to 25+, (laughs) plus, and I've really had to try to control myself and cut it down. Um, but you're right, you, you've said it a bunch of times this year, really just a lot of enjoyable theater experiences. I mean, movies that came out this year that probably would have easily fallen into the top ten just because of it being such a, kind of a reach to put the list together the past three or four years. This year, those types of movies just easily fall out of it. Yeah, and it, and luckily for me, you know... Movie pass in full effect, really <laughs> getting to utilize that uh, in really, recent weeks. I, I think we need a full sponsorship deal at this point <laughs> at the uh, rate that you hawk that product. I can't imagine they have much money no. <laughs> to sponsor. <laughs> They're anything. taking a loss on their whole uh, their whole strategy. business model is a loss. I don't know how it's still in business. Okay, so before we go any farther. I think it needs to be mentioned that we've kind of passed the official two-year mark of Whoa. the greatest moments in the history of forever. Yeah, and since we started recording the episodes... A little bit longer right. than that. <laughs> <laughs> two years and some change, but yeah, Still it's going. been a little over, I think. I don't remember the exact date, maybe January 11th, Yeah, right. like that. Yeah, right around the beginning know. of the year. Yeah, so... I don't know. It's still going. People still talk to me about it, though not the same ones that were talking to me about it in the beginning. Yeah, it's our listenership is kind of inconsistent, but it fluctuates. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seems like people are still kind of into it. I mean, There's I some, wish we yeah. got a little bit more positive feedback. But right. 
hey, whatever. Yeah. Um, you can always reach out to us via Twitter at GreatestPod, and uh, that's pretty much it. We did have an email address yeah. at some point. It's never been checked. Um, yeah, and I mean, I think at this point, pretty happy where the show's at. It's just not really going to go any further than this. Probably not. We'll keep doing it, but uh, as far as... I mean, if Eli Roth couldn't get us there, I don't know who is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we definitely, the Eli Roth thing happened, and then we had to take, like, a four-month break, <laughs> because it was, like, so depressing that right. it didn't uh, take off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, I can't believe that we still don't have that many listeners. A director of one of the movies tweeted about the show, and it got about... Uh, 20 more listens than usual (laughs) (laughs) just a bummer but here we are i think we've kind of it's kind of like those uh soccer players that realize they're never going to be better than like a championship team you know which might sound confusing to people that don't know yeah because that's actually not the best league yeah okay what we've decided is we're going to break up our 2017 year in review into four episodes of give us a second um this way we're going to spread out the movies that we're going to talk about through parts one through three and then part four we will give some oscar predictions we'll kind of run through the major categories and give our final top tens of the year set in stone forever and ever amen yeah although a lot of times after i do a top 10 list for a year then i'll see something else from the previous year and i'll be like that's my new number one (laughs) (laughs) that definitely happened with blue is the warmest color all right so (laughs) yeah this year got off to a pretty good start we went and saw logan right and i mean that had to still be around the same time as like get out too right those were both early on in the year yeah well we're gonna save get out for part two but okay right but just uh couple of big hitters off the bat for movies that I really liked early in the year. Well, I mean, pretty much all the way through the entirety of 2017, there were good things. My favorite movie of the year came out in America in April, so... Uh-huh. Logan typically wouldn't be something that would be on my radar as, like, a great film. Uh, well, I'm I d- I constantly don't really... uh, bitching, like, enough with the superhero movies. yeah. There has a, in other words, there hadn't been like a truly great superhero movie since uh, Christopher Nolan left the Batman franchise. It seemed like it was over as far as like real quality. I know well, as that, far as like you and I are concerned. Well, I mean, I know that the Marvel movies are they get really positive. Thor reviews. Ragnarok, people losing their minds over. Yeah, I mean, Doctor Strange, Thor yeah. Ragnarok, they got like ninety something percents. Insane. I think Everything. Spider Man Homecoming. Though. Also, Rotten Tomatoes has jumped the shark. I mean, there's no reason to trust what is going on anymore. I the amount of like 80 to 90% movies that occur in a year and aren't even like movies that would remotely land on like our top list. It just seems like it's all the time now. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's for the most part all of the superhero movies. I mean, we can throw Wonder Woman into that too. I mean, they all kind of are the same they tell the same basic story they all kind of try to mix in humor to really ill effect in my opinion and it's just i don't know it's just not for us yeah i mean wonder woman was like 
better than some of the other ones, but it's still like by the time it's getting to the end, A, it refuses to end, and B, some <laughs> of the shit that's going on on screen looks so dumb that you're just like, I don't know. I get, I, I guess people are just like, well, whatever. It's you know supposed to be cartoony and fun, and that's fine, but it's just not something that I consider great. Well, the reason why Logan worked so well for me was because by lowering the stakes in the film... In other words, in every other superhero movie, it's the world at stake. Oh, it's yeah. It's a huge city at stake. It's the planet at stake. Usually some huge city is, is like getting destroyed, by the way, too. By lowering the stakes to just this small story around Wolverine and then this little girl who's like a new mutant who kind of has similar powers to him. Just a ball of rage, really. It becomes like this much more... Um, personal relatable story where you're much invested in the characters and what's happening and it seems in a weird way despite the fact that it's a superhero movie it seems more realistic because you're like these are even though they have like crazy powers and weird shit is happening and there's a clone of wolverine running around it's like they still kind of feel real yeah i mean and it's kind of set in this more almost post-apocalyptic uh world and the the whole thing that you're dealing with jumping into a world where a bunch of the X-Men characters that you know are just dead, <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> puts a different spin on what you're used to for some of these worlds. And uh, Professor X kind of like dealing with Alzheimer's, which is causing like all sorts of fucking problems. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of just this gritty movie that we haven't gotten from the superhero world really since... The Dark Knight Rises, and... It's kind of surprising that the studio was willing to go there, really. Well, this was the first rated R, right? Yeah, uh, well, of the uh, X-Men movies, yeah. Yeah, I guess that's true. You have the... uh, Deadpool. Deadpool, yeah. Which is kind of like a quasi-X-Men movie. Right, yeah. But yeah, I mean... But taking like a character like Wolverine and making a rated R movie... I guess, you know, part of it is like, well... They made two other Wolverine movies. I'm sure the second one did less business than the first bit one. And they're like, well, it's kind of like the same thing with letting Tarantino do like an R-rated Star Trek movie Is it gonna at hurt? this point. It's like, what difference? I think they've proven enough that R ratings don't really hurt the box office True. as much as they probably thought it would. It, only in certain situations. And so, you know, everything kind of came together. They make uh, like a rated R Harry Potter movie. and i don't know everything just kind of works in this movie and by the end of it you know you're very emotionally invested and it's like i feel like it's a great payoff at the end i don't want to spoil it in case people haven't seen it but yeah the ending is great and it kind of closes the book on hugh jackman and patrick stewart playing these characters that they've played for nearly 20 years at this point yeah and it was it was a fun movie it was a good movie now you also got that Blu-ray edition that because they also did it filmed in black and white, correct? Yeah, they did uh, release the uh, noir version, as they call it, which they did the same thing with Mad Max: Fury Road a couple years ago. Oh yeah. Um, I don't know. I watched it in black and white, and I kind of it wasn't for me. Yeah the <laughs> the Logan one or yeah Mad the Max? Logan yeah one. I was kind of like, like I, I just kind of wanted it to be in color yeah you're at fine a certain with it point. <laughs> okay well that's something 
So moving right along, uh, another film, you know, kind of towards the back end of our lists and something that we were looking forward to seeing for a long time as, you know, it was announced that it was being made and it was based off of a book that was written about the experience of making this movie called The Room. And that would be uh, The Disaster Artist. Really high levels of excitement for me on this one, just because... Yeah, you slept through the entire first time that we saw it, so yeah, but, you must have been buzzing. Um, well, that's true. <laughs> I will say, though, when whenever we first started seeing trailers for this movie, it just looked incredible. If you have familiarity with The Room... Yeah, I do think that to fully embrace what's going on in, in The Disaster Artist, you need to have experienced The Room first. Um I have read articles written by people that have never seen The Room and what their take was on the film, and I think it still works. Because ultimately the film is about friendship and loyalty and pursuing your dream even if you don't really have talent. I feel like if you haven't seen The Room, it's almost kind of hard to believe that uh, James Franco's character is a real person. Well, yeah, it would come off as like so insane. Yeah. That you, uh, that Why is he talking like that? <laughs> you do need to experience the real Tommy Wiseau, I think, to understand what's even happening in and The Disaster Artist. But The choices that are being made <laughs> for the movie. Now, obviously, um, Oscar nominations have come out and James Franco didn't get nominated. Uh, there's kind of like a cloud of sexual harassment, you know, hanging over him right now. I don't know if that's why he didn't get nominated. Part of me isn't sure that this is the type of performance that should be nominated. Yeah. It uh, does come across as like a bit SNL sketchy at times. a parody almost. Yeah, it's like he's doing a voice and he's, you know, imitating Tommy Wiseau, but it's like, it's sometimes hard to tell the difference between like, you know, acting out a character and like being the character and then like, it just kind of being like a big goof on session. Yeah, I, I thought he was good, and, and you definitely uh, get the Tommy Wiseau feeling, but I wasn't like blown away. Yeah, and I do think that, I, I mean, I don't know, maybe the, the, the accusations against Franco pushed it over the edge and people were fine with not voting to nominate him because he probably wouldn't have won anyway, so what difference does it make? Uh, he would have been... Even if he was included, he'd be the fifth likely of the five. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. It, it wasn't, he was the last one in and then so easily the first one out. But, I mean, I liked the film. I didn't love it as much as I wanted to. Yeah. Uh, I did go see it again, by the way, we should mention. <laughs> right, right, right. It, well, yeah, well, when I saw it with you, it was your second time because, you know, you right. had fallen asleep. Uh, which was actually pretty funny when you were like, so what point... <laughs> Did you fall asleep the first time, which really was only like 10 minutes into the movie, and I woke up as they're applauding the screening of the film, (laughs) which is, you know, mere minutes before the credits roll? Yeah, for me, the second time through, it wasn't as fun. It it immediately didn't have the kind of rewatchability that you would want. And so, you know, this wouldn't necessarily fall into like, it was hard to really for me. make it a story outside of, uh, the ridiculous film that they're making. 
Like the other storylines outside of them making the room, well, it wasn't necessarily clicking for me. But all the scenes of them making the movie, I thought were great. Yeah, I would. For me, the first like twenty, thirty plus minutes were hard to get through the second time. Once they kind of kick into making the movie, it it gets better. So another one for for us that I think we both enjoyed. It was kind of a an experience in and of itself one of the more controversial films of the year nominated for multiple razzie awards including worst picture (laughs) and worst actress that would be mother the new film from darren aronofsky i didn't Um, realize that that uh was in that razzie world yeah i mean it it i would say overall the reviews were pretty positive it was in I i think the mid to high 70s so it got a positive rotten tomato score Although, I think audience scores insanely low. (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot of people had no idea what they were going into. That was a... And when you mess with audience expectations, the results are usually bad. When people get something they're completely not expecting, they feel like they've been tricked and they get angry. Especially whenever there are controversial things like a baby's neck being snapped. Yeah, that's always a tough sell. I... This, I mean, this one is not going to be in my top ten, but I really liked this film. I thought Jennifer Lawrence was incredible in it. I would have maybe recast Javier Bardem. Almost a similar anxiety to the Natalie Portman performance in Black Swan. Um, I love the movie in the beginning, the pacing of it, the whole, like, what the fuck is going on. Once it starts spinning, like, wildly out of control... It gets a little bit harder for me to <laughs> be into everything that's going on, but yeah, I mean, once once you kind of like grasp the parable aspect of it and like the story that's being told, it kind of makes more sense. Because right. if you're trying to like watch it as if it's like, you yeah, know. upon original screening, I was only getting some of like the biblical references and stuff. So right, yeah, because it gets so out of control by the end of it. You're like, what? I, I can't relate. Like, I can't relate this to the real world. I don't right. understand what's happening anymore. I do love, um, outside of it being the, of course, uh, reference to God, I do love Javier Bardem's just <laughs> inability to break away from the love that he needs from the people in the movie. <laughs> it's just so funny to keep watching that happen because Jennifer Lawrence is just like, you know, given the the whole bit of why am I not enough? And he just has to like keep making, which obviously we get uh, what's being said in the movie, but I just think it's, it, it works as kind of funny just yeah, when I mean, you view you him. Could, like if you were just thinking of him as a person, it's like, this is kind of funny. Like this narcissist. Yeah. I mean, you can definitely take some of it as like a meditation on fame and, you know, kind of what happens to somebody when they be, when they get famous, when they get adoration from just right. anonymous people. For me, I know that there's kind of been this like new trendy backlash against J-Law for like a while now. It seems like it somehow is tied in with like the pictures that leaked of her online, which is... <laughs> it was intentional. Insane, because it's like, I don't understand how that's her fault. I'll say this, looked unbelievable in this movie. That little <laughs> nightgown outfit she was rocking, good lord. Yeah, I, I just think like... There, I can get some criticisms of her acting, but regardless, for me, it's like 
she just brings like a certain electricity to every performance and every movie. I think she's oh, at like I, another level as far as like actresses her age. For being like the fourth build person in American Hustle, I mean, she steals the show in that movie for right. me. I just think like even in a movie that wasn't like an A-plus like Joy, if they would have cast anybody else in that part, it would have gone from like a B to like an F real quick. <laughs> like she just is the whole thing. Yeah. And it's just like... I get that people are maybe tired of her. They think she's one note or whatever. I'm really excited to see this new movie. She's in Red Sparrow. I think she's kind of at a weird point in her career because she's already won Best Actress for Silver Linings Playbook. She doesn't have a whole lot left to prove. So, you know, she's coming out of, like, the big uh, franchises like Hunger Games and X-Men, which I don't believe she's going to be in any more X-Men movies. So it's like... Yeah, I don't think... Now is the time to, you know, she can be super selective with the projects and stuff. I don't know. I'm excited to see how the next few years play out for her. Hopefully, you know, she can bounce back from Mother being like a huge kind of disappointment. It seemed like people love to take the most joy in her failure as opposed to anybody else involved. (laughs) Well, no one cares about Aronofsky. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's like the other people, like Javier Bardem, don't really seem to get any blame. But, like, people love to, like, take shots at her. Well, she's just a celebrity on another level than them, though. That's true. Um, But I I loved the film. I thought it was artsy and gutsy. And it was kind of a bold move by the studio to just put it out as a wide release kind of marketing it as if it was some sort of standard home invasion horror movie. Right. Um, when yeah, it's I mean, I so always... much different from that, and right. I, I just don't know. I think people were really kind of caught off guard. There was another film this year that we're not really going to mention very much, but It uh, it Comes at Night Oh yeah, was another film. Oh, that... we're not going to talk about that at all. No, it was a good film. I, I yeah. just, you know, there's a lot of I that we're that not going to mention, right? Yeah, because there's a lot of movies that were good this year. Um, but yeah, that was another one that was kind of marketed in a certain way, and I think audience scores were lower than the critic scores because people thought they were in for something that it turned out they were not in for. Like it was just a different kind of movie. Yeah, and that really kind of hurt mother and having like movie stars and a big budget behind it kind of just made it stand out as this bomb and now you know it's getting the Razzie nominations and whatnot um but moving on well uh, and I'll just say too you know I I may not love mother I didn't think it was like incredible but I always when I walk out of the theater after seeing like something like that it's always going to get points for me just for being like so different and you would you just wouldn't have expected that to be like a studio movie that's being put out in wide release yeah so Um, it's like you know when we get out of there and we can spend the next couple hours talking about it yeah it's definitely like one that inspires a lot of like conversation and that that's kind of like a running theme through a lot of the top movies for me this year you know how is a viewer going to react like what kind of conversations are you going to have afterwards like does this make you think in any kind of way um, also, by the way, the song from the end credits in Mother, I can't remember. It's like the end of the world or something. Oh, I was thinking it was uh, Danzig. Uh, no, I thought it was like an older song. <laughs> that was a joke. Oh, 
<laughs> does, isn't Danzig the one that does Mother? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's good stuff. Um, Whoa. All right. Well, we got to move on. Okay. So, <laughs> two other movies that came out over the summer uh, that really kind of came and went for the most part, Not didn't really make too many waves uh, here in America, at least. I know one of them got some love at uh, the ca- ca- uh, at the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, that would be Sofia Coppola's remake of The Beguiled oh, yeah. and A Ghost Story, which was kind of a secret movie that no one knew about until it was already done. And yeah. it was the same, from the same guy, uh, I think his name's like, what, David Lowry or something? Ain't Them Body Saints. Who did Ain't directors. Them Body Saints with Rooney Mara and Casey Affleck, and they returned t- to work with him for A Ghost Story. First, let's talk about The Beguiled Great movie. Super fun time. <laughs> I like The Beguiled a lot. And then I watched the original, uh, which has Clint Eastwood fest. in the uh, Colin Farrell role. And I was like, oh, this original is a lot better. Yeah. And it kind of, it, it, it retroactively took some points away from me from Sofia Coppola's. I thought Although, it was a watered down version. Uh, the original is a lot creepier. Really, right? <laughs> I mean, it's a lot more of a lot of things. There's yeah. just a lot more going on in it that she kind of chose not to go down, and I kind of think it was a mistake because there's a lot more intrigue in the original, where you're just like kind of unsure of a lot of characters and what their motivations are and what's going on. Whereas everything is kind of more straightforward in the 2017 version. Colin Farrell yeah, is like a wounded. I was still having a hard time figuring soldier. out. Colin Farrell's motivations at given points. He was real quick to kind of throw around the L word to just whoever. Yeah, I mean, basically, he's a soldier fighting for the North in the Civil War. He gets injured. He gets taken into this uh, school for girls, which has about, like, I don't know, six or eight girls of varying ages that uh, all seem to over time become kind of infatuated with him and he kind of carries on with a couple of them and it leads to a lot of jealousy. Well, they, and they haven't had a lot of uh, male interaction in their lives. No. And of course it's like a, you know, like a fucking smoke show going on. It's like Elle Fanning, Kirsten Dunst and Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman. It's just like, good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> but eventually, you know, their jealousy kind of causes, destruction and then they eventually just poison him at the end yeah. to, to uh, give the whole movie away the but big theme of 2017 uh poison mushrooms yeah playing a heavy role in multiple movies so i liked it it was well directed sofia coppola won best always director, does a great job and uh it kind of was largely ignored for the award season here but yeah i mean it kind of it kind of disappointed me once i saw the original version. Um, a ghost story is not going to be for everyone. It's although pretty. What is it? A meditative poem on the enormity of time. <laughs> the My best favorite blurb ever. From a, yeah, trailer ever. Uh, yeah, I mean that pretty much sums it up. Sums up what it's it is. Bad. Um, you would think that maybe based on the title that it would be some sort of like horror movie or something one it's of the big clearly uh, definitely not conflicts for the movie Rooney Mara taking on a pie which was one of the more controversial scenes in the movie because Rooney Mara hates pie 
<laughs> yeah, they had to make like a gluten-free pie or something. Well, but like, she literally, there's like an uninterrupted scene of about eight minutes of her eating the pie on the floor and then throwing up. There's the part from the trailer <laughs> where there's that dude at the party that Kesha's at and he's like talking about a singer writes a song, a writer writes a novel, and it's kind of like this whole right. uh, whatever, meandering nonsense speech that he's going on but to me in the trailer with the music playing it's like oh, okay yeah this seems like inspiring and existential but then watch the movie and it's like that's 90 percent of the dialogue of the whole movie is that guy's little speech not a lot that. of talking yeah. no um i think by the end of it i enjoyed it and i enjoyed the experiment and i i liked kind of the idea of kind of this never-ending loop of time almost is what ends up happening but like it's kind of a challenge to get through it and to make that kind of connection with it a lot of people kind of didn't like it or thought it was a little too self-indulgent i've definitely heard some complaints about the rooney mara scene of eating the pie (laughs) but i mean i like to watch rooney mara and i anything rooney mara for me including pan by the way (laughs) Is an A. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed watching her eat the pie. Yeah. Um, she does a great job. So a couple more that I want to touch on very briefly here in part one were two that you haven't seen. Uh, the first one, Good Time, a film written and directed by the Safdie brothers. Um, now, I haven't seen it, but I will say seeing the trailer for it, I was very in. The The trailer was like so intense. It's kind of an intense bleak movie starring robert pattinson in an unrecognizable oh, yeah. role i didn't know that was him from the trailer he looked like someone i knew but i i did not know that was him he honestly should have been nominated for best actor he's really good in it the story is kind of unrelentingly bleak but it keeps kind of escalating over the course of this one like crazy night and all this crazy shit kind of keeps happening and it's enjoyable it's probably a tough one it's not like gonna be one that you're gonna want to watch like you know once a year every year kind of thing you're gonna need some time with it but um and it's kind of story-wise it's nothing like american honey but it's kind of got that same kind of that's what i thought of desperate kind of feel to it, where you kind of get like uncomfortable where you're just like oh my god i might have a hard time with that (laughs) i don't know i mean these people are very like of new york city Uh, yeah they don't really like act like people that would be from anywhere else so it's kind of like very contained to that world but yeah it is very like kind of desperate and a film that i saw i think on my birthday uh the killing of a sacred deer (laughs) from the same director who did the lobster well happy Uh, birthday to you this one also like the beguiled starring uh colin farrell and nicole kidman (laughs) yeah i was gonna say wow nicole kidman i mean really keeps it going her filmography is like insane, and she gets like completely nude in this movie. And she was in um, Big Little Lies this year, or maybe that was no, I think that was twenty seventeen. And she does she's nude in that too, just really on top of her game. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, a stone cold killer. Really, this one is. I would say Killing of a Sacred Deer, in a sense, is kind of like a ghost story in that. Only in the only in the sense of like you either have to like get into it or you're just kind of gonna be like this is weird. 
it's I, ve- a very strange story. I mean, there actually is talking and a plot, but like the characters kind of talk in a weird way, and the story is insane. And there's some kind of fucked up sexual things in it, but like it's more about it's kind of like a take on a, I think like a Greek tragedy or some some kind of story. I don't know. It's it's kind of demented and weird. Now this is the director of The Lobster, yes, which I also still have not yet seen. So yeah, you need to probably watch maybe both. some candidates for our week of cool movies. Oh, it's more than a week. Yeah, ten days. <laughs> our, our film, our, the the first ever greatest moments of Forever Film Festival. Yeah. All right, I like this. Dates TBA films yeah. TBA right. <laughs> Festival confirmed. <laughs> Semi confirmed. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, both of those deserve, I, I think both Good Time and Killing of a Sacred Deer deserve to be mentioned. I, I enjoyed both of them immensely. They're not going to make my top 10, but they would make my top 20. Matt, as usual, not seeing as many films as me. No, not as dedicated. Dropping the ball. Yeah. But well, I don't have a movie pass. The, that's there true. you go. Although I, I didn't see Good Time till it was out on dvd blu-ray yeah so all right well all right so that kind of i guess that wraps up part one of our 2017 in review multi-part series we're gonna we're gonna talk about a whole slew of new films for part two yep and we'll really get into it i feel like yeah i think we have i have a lot to say about some of these movies yeah so the next ones are definitely going to hit some of the best picture candidates, so stay tuned for that. And we're gonna we're still working on getting to the next listener request. It will be hopefully posted, yeah, you know, within a week or so. Yeah, we haven't forgotten. I haven't about really you. come out of that step by step haze. I really yeah. was watching episodes show right up to the moment we started recording this. Is getting dangerously close to becoming a step by step. Uh, fan show. I mean, I'm open for it. If people want to tweet at Greatest Pod and say, yes, I'm in for the step-by-step only pod from now on, then yes. <laughs> yeah, please. We'll, go. Uh, we'll start a poll on Twitter, see how it goes. Alright, so that'll do it for part one. See ya. Does my heart go on beating? Mm-hmm.
these eyes of mine cry mm. 